Welcome everybody to the Dooley Sports Cavalcade, episode number one for 2022 and our Big Ten preview, where we'll be looking over all of the Big Ten teams and talking about the 2022 season. Uh, we're going to go from the east to the west. The goal of the podcast over these next couple of weeks is to do a weekly college and NFL podcast. Uh, we'll be reviewing and previewing the Big Ten games, what we've seen from the previous week, and what is going to be taking place the next week. So give it a follow. Uh, we'll be publishing some more items on Twitter and giving you some other spaces to share your feedback, but hopefully you'll follow us throughout the year. And as we go through, we'll have a couple different guests come on and talk to us about uh, college football and the NFL as well. So this preview uh, for the Big Ten in 2022 is going to be really interesting because there are a lot of different teams where they are facing a lot of different challenges as they enter the season. And Ohio State, when you look at all these teams and when you go through reviewing all of their rosters and the different additions and what they have and what they've lost, it seems to be seems to me, at least for the upcoming year, that they are clearly above everybody else in the conference. And at a point where it's really tough to even see if anybody's going to compete with them in 2022. So uh, my name is John Dooley. We're going to take a look at each of these different teams as we go down the line and give a quick preview. And then I'll give you kind of a feeling as to what I think is going to happen over the upcoming season. But starting with Ohio State, and we'll go over some of their strengths and some of their weaknesses as to what I've seen through doing research and spending time and listening to podcasts and going through four or five different previews and looking at rosters and who's left and who's here to kind of give you a good idea as to what's going on with the upcoming season. I know for a lot of our listeners, you got a busy life. There's a lot going on. You don't have time like you did when you were 12, 13, 14 years old to buy the college football preview and, and know what's going on. So I'll try to keep this concise for you to get you a good idea as we enter the 2022 season, because believe it or not, folks, we got a Big Ten game coming up just next week, this weekend, as a matter of fact. In Ireland, Nebraska will be playing Northwestern at 11 a.m. on Saturday, so we will get the Big Ten conference festivities kicked off and underway. And also Illinois is playing a game as well this weekend, so we'll be keeping tabs on that as they take on Wyoming. But let's start off with the Big Ten East and take a look at Ohio State, who last year finished the year at 11-2. and they're returning 14 starters, and this is a team, when you look at it, it's pretty amazing. Ohio State, if you look at their recent history, and this is just in the last five seasons, they have lost a total of seven games, and I don't foresee any changes taking place this year as far as them competing for the Big Ten crown. 77-5 and five in the Big Ten in the last 10 years. Um, they've got the best quarterback in the Big Ten. They might have the best running game in the Big Ten. They definitely have the best receiving core in the Big Ten. Uh, Henderson and Williams, uh, their top two running backs are back. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's going to be a big NFL prospect, who's one of their big receivers and caught for over 1,600 yards last year, is going to be back. Marvin Harrison Jr., yes, that same son of, of Marvin Harrison. They're looking for him to take that leap. And with teams focusing on uh, Jackson Smith, you better believe that he's going to have the ability to do that. Uh, the odd thing with Ohio State, their offensive line, if you if you wanted to look for a question mark, I guess you could say the Buckeyes offensive line is a question mark. 
but it's still a pretty good group. Uh, they're returning three starters from that offensive line. Um, they've got 45 career starts on that offensive line that's coming back. So um, they're going to be in pretty good shape, I think, no matter what. Uh, Paris Johnson is a sophomore left tackle. That's uh, a guy that a lot of people are, are looking at to, to make that leap uh, in this upcoming year as well. Um, so that's going to be uh, a big uh, a big thing for them as they go into the upcoming year. They have a couple things in their schedule that are really interesting that we want to take a look at as well. Ryan Day coming back for the upcoming season. Uh, you want to think if Ryan Day is going to take that leap as a coach. And it's so funny even sitting here and saying take that leap because when you look at uh, all of the different teams and all of the different uh, programs that are across the country, so many of them would want somebody like Ryan Day who's running their team. And you just want to know if he's going to get into that uh, same area as uh, Trestle and that same area as as uh, Woody Hayes where, or even Urban Meyer where he's going to be lauded by the Ohio State faithful. And I know he had all of his successes in 2020 and uh, you know everybody lauds him for his work in that season. But really what's going to take for that next step uh, for them to become a national champion? They're returning 14 starters um, and... They've just got a lot of strengths across the board. When you look at the full team of the Buckeyes, there's not, there's not one weak spot of their entire offense. And there's not really a big weak spot on their entire defense as well. Um, looking how they match up across, uh, across their schedule as well, if you look at their schedule, they only have four true road games. Playing a 12-game slate, they've got four true road games. And when you look at their tough road games really only two of the four are games that you look at as possible losses. And that's at Michigan State, which happens on October 8th, and then at Penn State on October 29th. Uh, those are the only games that I'm looking at right now where I say to myself, okay, Ohio State might run into some trouble. Um, and I know everybody's looking at the big one, right? The first game that they're going to play against Notre Dame and what effect that's going to have uh, on the team. I can tell you, in full disclosure, this is someone who's followed Notre Dame football his entire life. Uh, I don't think Notre Dame is really in the same group as Ohio State. You're talking at a, you're looking at a team with C.J. Stroud, who might be the best quarterback in America. He's definitely right there with Bryce Young. Um, you're looking at a top line receiving core. You're looking at playmaking running backs. Um, it's going to be very very tough for anybody in the Big Ten to come close to what Ohio State's bringing back to the table. Which brings us to the team that I have uh, listed as probably the number two team in the Big, in the Big Ten East, which is Michigan. Um, for Michigan, they're returning 13 starters. They've got nine of their starters coming back on offense. Uh, Cade McNamara is coming back. Uh, they got one of their top two running backs coming back in Corum. Um, their whole top core of their receiving core is back. Uh, tight end Eric All is one of the top tight ends in the Big Ten, and he's coming back as well. And I think Michigan's asking kind of the same question of themselves. We got such a taste last year of what the program can be. Are they going to be able to bring that back and repeat all of the successes from last year? Um, I think I probably speak for a lot of people who've, who've watched Michigan football for a long time, that that victory over Ohio State bought so much for that program and bought so much for Jim Harbaugh as far as um, – I guess you could say good feelings and good vibes around the program 
that uh, there's a little bit more leeway for Jim that may have existed prior to. Because you're looking at a team, you know, last year was so successful. It's really tough. It's easy to forget that in 2019 and in 2020, this team lost four games. You know, they were eight and five, 10 and three, nine and four, two and four. You know, you're getting at least three losses a year. And doing that for four straight years and on and on and over time and all the struggles that they've had, this is something that would have not been acceptable at Michigan in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. But it's something that, unfortunately, for their program, uh, people have had to get used to. Now, for their advantage, their schedule works out, I think, really nicely. I don't. Uh, people might look at it and say, oh, well, they scheduled cupcakes. I wouldn't call them necessarily cupcakes. Well, maybe UConn's a cupcake, but... Um, a smart scheduling to get the team ramped up where hopefully they're going to be 4-0 and going into Iowa City on October 1st. And they kind of get, that's a nice good prep game to get a feel as to where your team is and uh, what you need to build going forward because they go to Indiana after that. And the hope is, is that you get them in tip-top shape prior to that Penn State game on October 15th. You get a week off before you play Michigan State. I think the schedule plays really nicely in their favor. Obviously, the big one that's lurking at the end is at Ohio State. It's not completely out of the question when you look at the schedule. It's not out of the question for Michigan to be 11-0 and going into that game. I personally don't see that happening. There's too many good teams that are in the Big Ten that are going to give Michigan problems. And they've lost a little too much on the defensive side of the ball. Not on the offense, but they've lost too much on the defensive side of the ball uh, for me to think that they're going to be able to copy what they did last year. If I'm a Michigan fan, I would be ecstatic. If this team came out with 10 wins, if they somehow came out of this whole deal at 10-2, and that is a successful season for this group. I know there's some Michigan fans that might disagree with me, but I honestly believe that 10-2 and would be a successful year for them. Um, I'm foreseeing probably 9-3 and from this group. It's still a good football team. It just certainly isn't a, a, a great football team. They do have a great offensive line. Um, they're also, even though they lost uh, one of their key starters, they get a great uh, transfer in Oluwatimi, Olu who's coming from UVA. They've got 85 career starts on that offensive line, which is pretty darn high when you're looking at collegiate offensive lines. Um, they only have four true road games that are on their schedule, like Ohio State. So that's good for them to build some strength and into what Harbaugh needs, which is really two strong years uh, back to back. And I talked about the losses that are on the defense, but something you may want to keep in mind, they are returning six of their nine uh, top tacklers from the previous year. So there are productive players from the defense that are coming back. Um, and uh, and that's going to be something that, that the Michigan defense can look forward to. Another thing to think about when you're looking at the team as a whole is that they are returning the most lettermen. They're returning the most experience. So there's been a lot of guys with a lot of playing time on this roster, so it's an experienced roster. It is definitely an experienced offense. Um, and one thing after talking to some Michigan fans over the last couple of weeks, I think this is the year, there's no doubt that Cade McNamara is a, a, a really good college quarterback. I think the question is now, is he going to take that leap from being a really, really good college quarterback to being a great college quarterback? If he makes that leap this year, everything that I just said, in the previous four minutes that I've been talking about Michigan really doesn't matter because if he makes that leap, then yeah, they're definitely the chances of them being 11 and 0 going into that Ohio state game 
are uh, are pretty darn high. It's just really tough to look at those teams, line them up against each other, and think that there's a way that Michigan would be able to go into Columbus uh, on Thanksgiving weekend and be able to get that victory. It just doesn't seem like something to me that would be possible. But it should still be viewed as a positive for Michigan to have back-to-back good years and to come away with a 9 or a 10 win season. I think uh, I think most realistic Michigan fans would feel good about that. So uh, a good team coming back, a lot to look forward to on the offensive side of the ball. And then we get into some questions of the Big Ten East. Then things start to get a little bit lighter, but there's some programs who genuinely feel like they have a shot to take that next step. And I differ from a lot of people when looking at the East because the popular pick for number three in the Big Ten East is Penn State, but I don't think it's Penn State. I think it's Michigan State. I think Michigan State's going to come up at number three. They're returning 14 starters. They've got nine coming up on that defense. You've got a defensive-minded coach in Mel Tucker who's leading this team, and I think it's really going to help uh, with someone of Mel Tucker's mind of that defensive mindset, the nine starters coming back. Now, listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not naive here. I know replacing Ken Walker is going to be nearly impossible. You're talking about a guy who gained over 1,700 yards last year, but they got their, their quarterback coming back. They have their top receivers coming back. Um, they've got uh, 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 Broussard, who's a Colorado transfer, who's coming here to help with their squad as well, who's going to help them out quite a bit. Um, the issue for them on the offensive side of the ball is the fact that they're only returning two starters on their offensive line. Uh, they do have a lot of returning starts, a lot of experience with those starters, and they did get a transfer from Washington State and Brian Green that's supposed to help that group. But it, excuse me, that is still a question mark that Michigan State is going to have to be looking at in in this upcoming year. Um, they should be tough against the run. They return most of their defensive line. Uh, and then behind them, they've got a pair of first All-Big Ten team players in Carl Halliday and Xavier Henderson. And, and Carl Halliday, he is a problem. Um, Simeon Barrow, defensive tackle. Jacoby Winman, uh, uh, our linebacker uh, position as well. Uh, the will for, for Michigan State. They've got a really, really strong group. And this might be the best defense in the Big Ten uh, in 2022. So, that's to look forward for Western Michigan, excuse me, for Western Michigan. I was looking at their first game for Michigan State. Um, also, I'm going to give some props here. And here's where I'm going to give props. They scheduled, and I know Washington is not Steve Entman's Washington. This isn't 1991 or anything. I, I know Washington isn't what it used to be. But to schedule a true non-conference road game and to actually play somebody to kind of see where your team's at. I give a lot of props to Mel Tucker and his group for scheduling that game. Um, they're going to be going to Washington on September 17th before they start Big Ten Conference play. And they're going to get tested right out of the gate. They got Minnesota and Maryland. Uh, those aren't going to be gimme games. And then they got Ohio State and Wisconsin back-to-back at home. And then they get a bye week and they go to Michigan. So um, whatever you see from Michigan State, also remember that. Don't quit on them early in the year. If you see them go four and three or something like that, don't think, oh, well, that's it from them. The backside of their schedule is a little bit easier, and I think you're going to see this team grow uh, as the year goes on. Peyton Thorne at quarterback is a question mark, and really the offense is, is really the question mark. I just think the defense is that good coming back that it's going to create a lot of problems for the rest of the Big Ten. Um, it's uh, It was a solid defense last year. 
Um, I think they, a lot of fans still remember how they got drubbed by Ohio State. I think the key game for them was the loss to Purdue. Um, but anybody who watched this Spartans team last year, I don't think anybody walked away from the games thinking, oh, this is a national championship contender. At least I didn't. You know, they had gotten by the skin of their teeth in a lot of their games. And so it wasn't a total surprise to go to a place like Purdue. It's a weird place to play. And they just, Purdue's just been that upset-minded team the last couple of years. Um, And then going to Ohio State, and they just got absolutely lit up. Uh, For those that remember, they lost that game 56-7. to The team's going to be better. They're going to rebound from that, uh, especially the Ohio State game and the Purdue game were their two worst defensive performances of the year. I don't think you're going to see that again in 2022. So I expect Michigan State to make that leap and actually move in front of Penn State uh, who I have listed at fourth. I'm not as high on Penn State. And I'll just prep this. The two teams that I, I went through these previews that I'm hearing people feel are going to make a jump, I don't I don't see it. Uh, a lot of people are expecting uh, James Franklin and Penn State to make that jump. They went 7-6 and six last year. I don't see it. There's people who uh, are predicting Nebraska to make that big jump. Uh, I'm not saying Nebraska is going to finish 3-9 and nine again. I just don't see them contending for a division title like I've been seeing in a lot of production, uh, a lot of publications. So uh, here's the issues really with Penn State, and I'll kind of get to it. Maybe the best defensive back core in the Big Ten. So they have the best defensive backs in the Big Ten. Uh, they lost Brisker, who got drafted by the Bears um, in the previous NFL draft. Even without Brisker, it's an amazing defensive backfield. Their quarterback's back, which in most cases – would be huge. That would be extremely beneficial. And um, and I think Sean Clifford is a, a solid quarterback. Um, they are getting their top running back back. They're getting Washington back. They've got a great receiver in Mitchell Tinsley, who's coming from uh, Western Kentucky as well. Uh, it's just that their offensive line is going to struggle a little bit. Uh, they lost a bit from their offensive line. And that's where their weak spot is going to be uh, as a group. Um, they're only returning 36 career starts, which is on the lower end of the entire Big Ten. And here's the fact of the matter in the Big Ten. You have to have an offensive line that's going to be productive. You have to have an experienced group if you're going to want to win consistently in the Big Ten. You can bring back all of your skilled players. But when I start going through, especially in the East, especially in the East, and this is the problem with Penn State, the defensive lines that are at Michigan State and are at Ohio State, that's a problem. And you're going to see that highlighted in those games. They play Michigan State, their final game of the year on November 26th. They have Ohio State on October 29th. The advantage scheduling-wise that they have for those two for those two teams is obviously the fact they have both those games at home. So being able to get Ohio State and Michigan State at home and not really having, uh, uh, you know, they go to Purdue for their opener, which is going to be a tough one, by the way. And they have at Michigan on October 15th. You know, those are the two road games that they have circled that are in conference and they go to Auburn on September 17th. So that'll 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 tell us quite a bit about where Penn State as a program is at when we watch that game as well. Um, but getting to this defensive backfield, because I don't want to be just overwhelmingly negative about Penn State. Uh, Joey Porter's back. Um, uh, uh, Jair Brown is back. Uh, those are two of the tops, def- two, two of the top defensive backs that are in the Big Ten. Uh, they've got a really solid defensive line. Uh, it's just a tough schedule. I mean, it's a really tough schedule. As I mentioned before, you've got those road games at Purdue and Michigan. Uh, you're going to Auburn. 
Uh, it's just a bit of a bear. Um, you've got Ohio State, you know, just playing that whole East slate is really, really tough. And I just don't know if they've they've brought back enough. They're only returning 11 starters. They bring back most of their offense, but the offense they're bringing back is not mainly on their offensive line. And they're not returning a lot of their defense, you know, and their defense was pretty was pretty decent last year. It was somewhat solid. You know, they had their moments. Uh, they came away with a couple uh, in-conference shutouts last year. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's it wasn't a game-breaking defense, and they still return a good portion of that defensive backfield, but it's not it's not an amazing uh, defensive backfield. Excuse me, excuse me, uh, not an amazing defense overall, I should say. So it's going to be rough for them when you're not returning as many players, when you're playing the Big Ten East, and when your weakness is your offensive line. That's a problem. So as much as I like James Franklin, as much as I, I want Penn State to be competitive, I love Penn State's tradition and and uh, I, I do believe that James Franklin's a good coach. I just think that this is not the year. Um, if people are expecting kind of the results they saw in 17 and 19, uh, I, I don't think that we're going to be getting back to that at least this year. Solid recruiting class that's going to be coming in that should turn the tide for them. They have a very young roster. Um, so expect for Penn State for this to be temporary, but I do expect them to be slightly down this year. And I'll happily eat crow if I'm wrong on this one. The next team that's really interesting on this list is Maryland. Maryland and Indiana are both, to me, major wild cards. Because when you look at the team, you go, huh, if this happens and if that happens and if this happens and then if that happens, maybe Maryland, they might be able to compete and do a little bit more than maybe we originally uh, thought. Now, Talia Tagoviola, we'll have to say his name 20 times fast, um, for Tagoviola, they're returning 16 starters on Maryland's team that went seven and six last year. And I know people will say, oh, yeah, they went seven and six, but they really got creamed in some big conference games. You're talking about a team that gave up 51 to Iowa, 66 to Ohio State, 40 to Michigan State, and 59 to Michigan. So obviously defense was not their strong suit, but they're going to return seven starters from that defense. They're returning nine from their offense. Um, you know, looking at the schedule, uh, yes, there's definitely some games based on their schedule that they were able to get by and get wins with uh, that got them to a bowl game where they were able to lay into Virginia Tech, by the way. They destroyed uh, Tech in that pinstripe bowl, 54 to 10. But they're returning most of their team. You know, Jarrett and Demas are coming back. Their top two, uh, their top two receivers are back. Um, they have uh, 94 starts coming back on their offensive line all Five offensive linemen are coming back. Um, they've got a great defensive lineman in Mosiah Nasili Kite. He's one of the top defensive linemen in the in the uh, in the Big Ten. Really good receivers. The issue for them is that their defensive backfield isn't the best, and I don't know if it really got better. If you look at the conference rankings and the publications and who they have listed uh, on their roster for the upcoming year, uh, that is one area where they may struggle. They are going to bring back uh, two of their starters from their defensive backfield. But out of their seven returnees, the four that aren't, two are in the defensive backfield. And that was one of their weak spots for last year. Playing in the Big Ten East and playing against some of the quarterbacks that are in the Big Ten East, I think this is going to spell some trouble for Maryland. Um, they've also got a bear of a schedule on the road in conference. They're going to go to Michigan. They're going to go to Wisconsin. They're going to go to Penn State. Uh, I, it's really tough for me to talk myself into thinking that they're going to win those games or even get one of those games. I kind of have three of those, you know, playing in the East, you get Ohio state. 
So what does that mean? It means when you're doing your crossover games and you're playing the West, you really need to make sure that you're getting those wins in. So for Maryland, they've got Michigan State, Purdue, Northwestern, and Rutgers outside of that Ohio State game for their home schedule. And, you know, those those are some tough games. Uh, I know there's no big, there's no gimmies in the Big Ten. The Western op- opponents are um, outside of Purdue. They're, they're going to run the ball. They're going to grind the ball a little bit more this year. And Maryland's going to have to bend but not break. Um, Mike Loxley's got his work cut out for them. But the amount of starts that they return, there's times when you watch, when you watch Talia, you think to yourself, ah, I, I, I see it now. I see that this dude it could be a, a marquee quarterback in this conference. Like you can see it. You see glimpses of it. Is he going to take that next step this year? It's truly a wild card for me. And I think some people looking at, and we're going to get to Indiana's transfers in just a second, would prefer to see a more experienced team like Indiana with a more experienced coach kind of take over for where Rutgers is. But with just the volume of what they're returning and what they were able to accomplish last year, I think there's enough good vibes in the program, even though that schedule is pretty damn tough for them. So uh, we'll see how it all bears out. It's going to be really important for them to get off to a good start and out of conference. Um, there's no gimmies there. There's no gimmies in whoever they're playing. So um, it's going to be an interesting uh, an interesting start for them. And we'll see. We'll get a good glimpse right away because they're going to go to Michigan right away. And remember last year, that's kind of where we found out where Rutgers was. If you guys remember, Maryland was 4-0 to start the year last year. Remember they went to Champaign. They beat Illinois. Full disclosure, Illinois did not play well in that game. But they still won the game. They're 4-0. Um, and they had Iowa and Ohio State back-to-back. And they came out and they just got absolutely blown out of the water. 51-14 to and 66-17. to And everybody woke up and went, up. Oh, you know, that's it for Maryland. So um, I have Maryland uh, just slightly above the next team that we're going to talk about, which is Indiana. Now, if you really want to talk about a wild card, you can talk about Tom Allen and the Indiana Hoosiers who were easily the most disappointing team in America last year. They finished 2-10. and um, They're returning 12 starters from that team, which a lot of Indiana fans are more than happy about. I think there's a lot of players they probably would prefer to not see uh, from last year's team. But after all of the excitement, think of all the excitement if you're an IU football fan that you got in 2019 and 2020, being able to go to the Gator Bowl and being able to go to the Outback Bowl, competing and truly competing against SEC competition, there was so much hype heading into 2021, and it just went away so quickly. Yes, there was the bad feelings of getting pounded at Iowa, but then there was the thought, hey, we can come back against Cincinnati if we have a good performance against them. Maybe we can show that we do belong. And they played with them for a half, and then they got blown out in the second, and then it just spiraled out of control. Um, For Indiana in this upcoming year, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, they're returning five starters on offense and seven on defense. The main question marks, uh, excuse me, the main question marks for them is the offense as a whole. Uh, when you put that whole offense together, how is it going to operate? We're going to talk about why that's a question mark in just a second. And the check marks would be good special teams and good secondary. So uh, they, they, um, they're going to have a good secondary group that's going to come back. They have six main transfers that are projected starters for their group. That is an extremely high number uh, in this in this day and age. Uh, Connor Basilak's coming from Purdue uh, to head the team. 
their top runners are gone. Their top receivers are gone. Their top defensive playmaker and Micah McFadden is gone. Um, you will see, even though uh, Connor Bazalik is there, Jack Tuttle and Don- Donovan McCulley, who may eventually wind up battling it out at quarterback as well. Um, but they got Sean uh, Shivers, who's a running back from Auburn. DJ Matthews, a wide receiver from Florida State. And Emory Simmons, a wide receiver from North Carolina. So it's not like they're getting guys from no-name programs who haven't done anything. These are guys from big-name programs who have done something. And they've got three more big transfers on defense. Um, uh, uh, Tevis, who's the uh, defensive lineman from Cal. Brad Jennings, a uh, middle linebacker from Miami. And uh, John Haynes Sr., who's the free safety from Ole Miss. So they've got some areas where they plugged in some transfers. They have three starters coming back to their offensive line. And I, I think the the big thing for them and the big thing everybody else is looking at is if uh, if they're able to get the quarterback play that Tom Allen wants and um, if they're able to get uh, some of those transfers to plug in to play the way that they think they can, uh, based on what they have in their schedule, there's a couple games in here that they might be able to sneak in and get wins and see what they can build in going into that bye on October 29th. Because after that, it gets really, really tough. They got a stretch after their bye where they got Penn State at home. Then they go to Ohio State. They go to Michigan State. And then they got Purdue at home. So they're going to have to try to bank in wins against some of those teams from the West. Uh, have to make sure they win their out-of-conference games. And, you know, uh, teams like Western Kentucky aren't a gimme anymore. So many of these, like, mid-major teams... They do such a good job recruiting now. And even these FCS teams do such a good job recruiting now. It's not like how it was back in the day. You would play these out-of-conference games, and it was a gimme. You were going to win the game like 59-7. to And it was a total aberration um, whenever the lesser opponent won. It kind of feels like ever since Appalachian State beat Michigan in that game, I believe it was back in 2007, that nothing's ever really been the same. Right, It kind of feels like that these last 15 years. It's slowly you see more of these upsets and out-of-conference play. So it is actually imperative, I think, for Tom Allen to kind of build that confidence with this group, um, especially with those new transfers who have come in to take these roles. Um, they start building that winning culture once again because you got the feeling that it should be there. I don't think anybody thinks that Tom Allen is stupid or that Tom Allen doesn't know what he's doing. I think the questions are that maybe Tom Allen maybe doesn't know the best with hiring some supporting staff that he has, and maybe that led to some additional issues. Um, But I think with the right players in the right place and the right culture, I think Indiana uh, can make that turn. It's just really tough to do in the Big Ten East. They really got the wrong side of the coin when they they had to go to the Big Ten East and Purdue got to go to the West. So uh, some interesting stuff there. But uh, we'll see how Indiana holds up. Which brings us to the team that I have finishing in the cellar of the Big Ten East, and it is not easy being green. And in this case, if you're Rutgers, it's not easy being scarlet. Uh, the Knights last year went 5-8. and eight. They started 3-0. and oh. Remember, they went to Ann Arbor. They played Michigan tough. It was a 20-13 to 13 loss, and everybody kind of said, you want to know what? And if you watch the game, you know Michigan didn't play their best game ever. But if you look at this team, you'd say to yourself, you know what? This team's going to compete. They're going to turn some heads this year. And it just didn't pan out. Uh, they were able to get a couple decent road wins at Illinois and Indiana. Uh, but uh, when it came down to it, and now don't get me wrong, everybody got blown out by Ohio State last year. So that, uh, unless you're Michigan, but, um, but Ohio State put 50 on a lot of teams last year. So it wasn't crazy for that to happen. 
but they ran into some problems. They, they also gave up 52 to Wisconsin. They gave up 40 to Maryland. They really kind of uh, piddled down the stretch, if you will. And then remember at five and seven, they couldn't, they had to fill in for that, uh, that, Gator, that Gator Bowl and that wound up getting pounded by Wake Forest. So uh, not the best, not the best year for Greg Schiano and Rutgers. Although I know a lot of people around the Rutgers program and a lot of people around Shiano believe that he's moving this in the right direction. And that's going to take some time, just as it did before. This squad is returning 12 starters to it. Uh, their quarterback is back and Noah Vidral. Uh, but it looks like uh, Gavin Wimsett might also get some starts as well. Crickshank is one of the guys in the Big Ten who is one of the big playmakers. He's a great returner. Uh, they got a transfer from Syracuse and Taj Harris Jr. That's supposed to help them out a little bit as well. Their offensive line should be, based on the grades that I've seen, a little bit better than last year. Um, they, if you're looking for, if you're a Rutgers fan and if you're looking for something positive, they do have uh, some really great special teams coming back this year. Uh, Adam Corsak's one of the best punters in the country, so you, you've got that going for you. Um, the bad things are is that if you really look at the running game and what they're returning, and then also at their linebacking core. They're going to run into some struggles. Um, one thing I'll say about Greg Schiano, if I could just take an aside for a moment. Uh, due to the COVID year, you know, Greg's in his third year, and I cannot imagine someone being in a worse situation than him where you take over your team and you're immediately thrust into the hell that was that COVID season. Um, he had to navigate all of that, recruit through all of that, and navigate that ship through uh, that uh, that storm that was the 2020 football season. I think because of that, you normally I think if you're looking at a new coach, what do you look for? You, you want to give him four years, right? You want to see what he does with his first recruiting class, how that pans out, what everything looks like. And I think you change that with these guys that were that were hired around COVID. I think you say, okay, we give them five years because you can't really count 2020. And then we'll look at it at five years and see where they're at. I think the same thing goes for Shiano. I think they're going to look at where they're at this year. It might not be pretty, but what are you going to bring into the year after that? And how is that team going to respond after that? Because if you look at the roster, you see freshmen, you see sophomores, you see juniors, you don't see a lot of seniors. So Rutgers going forward should be in better shape. And I think the, the focus is going to be more towards 2023 rather than 2022. Um, you know, Christian Isian, who's uh, one of their safeties and Max Melton, who's a top linebacker for them, but you know, uh, they lost one of their biggest playmakers on defense. Um, so it's going to be a struggle for them. It's going to be tough, especially being in the East and having the schedule that they do. Um, even out of conference, you know, they elected to go to Boston college, but this is what Shiano wants to build with this team. He wants to build a tough team. He wants to build his team around his lines and he wants to be able to compete at the top of the Big East, uh, excuse me, of the, of the Big Ten East. I keep thinking Rutgers. I keep thinking of the old days in the Big East. But he wants them to compete in the Big Ten East. And uh, whew, it is a long, long hill to climb. But, um, but you know, he's done it before. He's done it before. And, and, and he can definitely do it again. It's just definitely a different climate, especially when they thrust you into a division where you're competing against the likes of Ohio State and Michigan. So that's what I have right now for the Big Ten East uh, I've got Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Maryland, Indiana, and Rutgers. And you can yell at me later. That's totally fine. Uh, we're going to pivot over to the Big Ten West and what we've got going on for the Big Ten West. And this is a really, for me, this is a really interesting um, 
a really interesting division because I don't see a clear-cut winner. I go to a lot of places and people sell me on Wisconsin this and Wisconsin that. Uh, some people talk about Iowa. Some people talk about Purdue. Nebraska is even kind of a sleeper pick for some people. Uh, I'm just going to tell you right now, I've seen a lot of Wisconsin football. I've, I've watched a lot of Big Ten football over the last, I'd say, what now, 35 years. Um, this is not this is not even one of the top 10 Wisconsin teams of the last, I'd say, 25 years. Uh, will they be good? Sure. They're going to be a good Wisconsin team. But I think anybody who tries to fool themselves into thinking this is going to be a great team, I think they're sorely mistaken. Now, Wisconsin's different because when you look at their offensive line, you can always look at their line and say, oh, well, they lost X amount of starters. But when it comes to Wisconsin's offensive line, they usually are reloading. They're getting the top recruits to play offensive line from throughout the Midwest, and they get them ready to play, and they're ready to get their offense going. The problem is this. The problem is that you wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night if you're a Wisconsin fan. And what do you think? You're like, oh my God, Graham Mertz is still our quarterback. It's still Graham Mertz. And I'm sure Graham is a great guy and he's a great leader. And I'm sure everybody around the Wisconsin community likes him. It's just sometimes Graham Mertz is tough to watch. Now, you might also be saying, how does that make him different from any other Wisconsin quarterback I've watched for the last 30 years? And yes, there is a little bit of truth outside of Russell Wilson. There's a little bit of truth to that as well. Um, I remember watching Graham Mertz's first game when he played at Illinois. He played that Big Ten, I think it was like a Friday night special game that they were playing, and he was locked in. He was something like 20 of 21, and he looked like he was going to be the future of Wisconsin football. And it really just hasn't looked the same uh, from that point. So for me, when I look at Wisconsin, to me, he's still... Um, he's still the, the, the big question mark that they have. Um, and honestly, you look at Chase Wolf or Deacon Hill or who else is on that, who's on that depth chart. Paul Christ is a small, is a smart guy. Um, if things wind up getting a little too hairy, uh, I, I have faith. And I think most Wisconsin fans have faith that'd be willing to make the change. Uh, not to say that Graham Mertz is some terrible quarterback. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure if they win 10 games with Graham Mertz as their quarterback. It's really tough for me to look at. Also, another thing we need to look at, Wisconsin's only returning eight starters. They're only returning eight starters. They lost 25 lettermen from their team, 14 on the defensive side of the ball. They're returning only three starters. I know it's the Big Ten West. I know that there's not a lot of great teams to look at when you go throughout the Big Ten West. And I know the running game's still gonna be there. The running backs return. Braylon Allen is back. Uh, Malusi is back. Um, you know, they combined for over 2000 yards rushing last year, but it is a rough receiving core and there's not a lot that's coming back. They got this UCLA transfer and Keontas Lewis who might uh, help them as well. Uh, but their top three receivers from last year are gone. So they're reframing their whole passing game as well. Um, they lost three starters on their O line. Um, but you know, they've got Tipman, they got beach. They're going to lead the line as well. It's still going to be a solid group. They're still going to be able to run the ball. And that's going to help them as well. So they've also, on defense, I know I've been giving them some crap because I know that they're not returning as much as defense. But what they are returning is a really, really strong linebacking core. Uh, Nick Herbig is back. Um, Keanu Benton is back on the the defensive line as well. Uh, But that receiving core is a big question mark that they're going to have to navigate with a quarterback who, quite frankly, has been struggling. Also, look at the schedule. They have to go to Ohio State. 
and they have to go to Michigan State. And then throw in some middling road opponents that are pretty tough as well when they have to go to Iowa and Nebraska. So it's it's just, it doesn't look like to me like this is the typical 10-win Wisconsin group that, that we're accustomed to seeing over the years. That said, you want to know what? You know, shoot. We're at a point where eight and four overall may win the West. And you want to know what? I'm not kidding. A seven and five might even do it. Um, I just don't have that much faith in the West. I see a lot of crossover losses that are going to take place. Um, So I just don't have the same level of faith that other people do in the top portion of the West. Don't get me wrong. There's great players in here. Wisconsin, um, uh, they haven't won more uh, than 10 games, though, since 2017. That's when they won 13 in 2017. They won 10 and 19, but they didn't win 11. So they're looking to get back to that elite status. When I look at the roster from top to bottom and I compare them to the other Big Ten teams, I don't see it. There's not enough returning. There's not enough uh, uh, blue chip recruits that are coming in or transfers that are coming in to um, to help fill uh, what's going to be there. And another thing that I look at when I look at the roster, and I will say this because it's something similar that when I looked at with Rutgers, there's a lot of underclassmen, a lot of juniors. So I think once again for Wisconsin, they're going to be looking more towards 2023 and really building this group. And if this group, as young as it is, can come away at eight and four, that's a success. I know that's what some Wisconsin fans don't want to hear. But when you're only returning eight starters and you come back in the Big Ten and you win eight games, that's a successful year. And I've got them right there in the hunt to win the Big Ten West. I just think the arrow's pointing down from their nine and four team. I see them more as an eight and five team. And I honestly wouldn't blink if they finished seven and six. Um, I know that might sound as blasphemy, but I just don't see um, I don't see the bump up coming from last year. It's really going to depend on, <laughs> we talked about this with other QBs, but it's going to depend on Mertz. It really is. Do they have the type of ball control offense and can Mertz make the throws enough to make this a viable offense? There's plenty of good defensive lines in the Big Ten now that are going to compete against that offensive line from Wisconsin. And I'm just telling you, man, they're going to need him to make those big throws in the game um, uh, to keep that a viable team and to give them a shot at competing against the the big the top the top teams in the Big Ten. Because uh, whoever they face, and if it, let's say it's they win the Big Ten West and they play Ohio State in a Big Ten championship game, I know people say, oh, it's one game, anything can happen. I just highly doubt that that thing is going to happen. I, I have a very tough time putting those two teams against each other and thinking that Wisconsin has much of a chance. Uh, but we'll try to keep it positive. They've got a very young team. They can still win their division, and that means they're pointing way, way up when we evaluate the Badgers in 2023. So what about Iowa? Uh, Iowa, to me, looks better. Uh, Iowa has 14 returning starters from their group. Um, now, when you look at the seven returning starters on each side. Petrus is returning. They are losing Tyler Goodson from their running back core. Uh, Gavin Williams is going to take over. Four of their five top receivers are returning. They lost their best offensive lineman in Linderbaum, but the group as a whole probably should improve if you look at the offensive lineman rankings that have been released throughout various publications. They're expected to be a little bit better, actually, even without Linderbaum in 22 than they were in 21. Um, they did on defense lose two of their top playmakers uh, and Van Valkenburg and Belton, um, but they are good on that defensive line. They have a great, and I mean a great linebacking core with Benson Campbell and Jacobs. 
Um, they have a really good defense. It might be the best in the Big Ten. I'd put them right there with Michigan State as far as their defense is concerned. It's just the same old questions with Iowa. And I'll, I'll let you answer them while you're listening to this. You might be doing the dishes, driving your car, on the train to work. I don't even have to say it. I can give you a little bit of pause and I'll, I'll let you say it. There it is. Quarterback, right? It's always the quarterback with Iowa. At least it feels that way. So it's really going to be up to Petrus and how he's going to react to everything. This is a team that won 10 games last year, brings back a good chunk of their roster, and um, and they have, in my opinion, a somewhat favorable early schedule. They can make some hay, and they can really make hay and do a lot for themselves if they get that big win October, on October 1st at home against Michigan. Um you know, the tough one, obviously, is they have to go to Columbus. That's not good. But um, their schedule lays out in a way where they should be competitive. Um, keep in mind, Iowa last won in Columbus in 1991. Um, so I, I know they want to get rid of that. Uh, also, they'll be playing Nebraska on November 25th for the final game of the year. And the Hawks have won eight of the last nine meetings. So, you know, they're feeling good going into that game as well. Uh Iowa was at a spot last year. You know, Purdue was the giant killer last year, and uh, Iowa was in a really good spot. And uh, they were able to uh, to take care of business last year. So um, Purdue kind of sent shockwaves to them, and then Wisconsin started getting their stuff together midway through the year. And then, of course, in the Big Ten title game, they got throttled by Michigan. I think Iowa's going to come back this year and surprise people. And I think they're really going to give Wisconsin a run for their run for their money for the Big Ten West crown. So those are my thoughts on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Another interesting team that I also think is going to gain on the Badgers, who everybody thinks is going to win the Big Ten West, and they're going to be right there with them, is Minnesota. Um, Minnesota's got an interesting team. They're returning 12 starters, six on offense, six on D. The problem is, is that um, uh, their top uh, for them, actually, their skill positions are in good shape because Tanner Morgan's coming back. For those of you who forgot, they're getting Ibrahim back, who was one of the top running backs in the Big Ten a couple years ago. He was gone all last year. So they get him back. They got their top receivers back. Um, They've got a middling offensive line. Uh, They've got some transfers that are coming in to fill in some areas. They got Philagia that's coming in from Michigan and Quinn Carroll, who's coming in from from Notre Dame. Um, They've got 64 career starts on their offensive line, which is kind of in the middle ranks of the Big Ten. They're going to have a really solid offense. Um, I'm really interested to kind of see September 17th, they play Colorado. We'll see how they do in that game. And then we're really going to get a good vibe as to where they're at because they got to go to Michigan State on September 24th. So I think once we see those two get those two games, we're going to get a pretty good look as to where Minnesota is at. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of P.J. Fleck, but I'm going to give credit where credit is due. If you remember last year, they played Bowling Green and they lost early in the year. They lost 14 to 10. And they could have quit. They came back. They won their next four games. They really responded to that. They played a terrible game against Illinois. My Lord. Now, Illinois' defense actually was pretty decent last year. But they lost that game at home. It really took the wind out of their sails. They lost a heartbreaker at Iowa. But they came back. They won two big games. They beat their arch rival in Wisconsin. Uh, They beat West Virginia in their bowl game. This seems like a team that's on the up and up and ready to take their next step. And I'm not going to be shocked if they do take that next step. I know Badger fans don't want to hear it, but um, I think Minnesota is going to be a team to watch out for in the West. So I've got them right there with Iowa and Wisconsin, with Iowa and Wisconsin towards the top of the Big Ten West. And who else do I have with them? 
Well, I've got the Purdue Boilermakers. The Purdue Boilermakers, I think, are also going to be a team that's going to be tough to that's going to be uh, tough to reckon with. They come in from nine and four last year. They're returning fourteen starters, very similar to what we saw with Indiana. And um, for them, their big thing last year was being the giant killer. They upset number two Iowa. They upset number five Michigan State. And uh, like everybody else, they gave up fifty points in Columbus, but at least they got thirty-one in the game and lost 59 to 31. And they've got uh, they've got an interesting schedule this year. Um, they are going to open up against Penn State at home. And, uh, and they've got some tough road games, their toughest road games at Wisconsin. But their schedule on the whole is probably the most favorable of any team in the Big Ten. So if you get a chance tonight, open up that Purdue schedule and take a look at it because they're tough opponents like Iowa and Penn State. They get them at home. And really, their only tough, true road game is at Wisconsin. So it's going to be an interesting year for Purdue. The big thing is they're bringing back Aiden O'Connell. Uh, he's arguably the best quarterback in the Big Ten, well, next to C.J. Stroud. He's the number two quarterback in the Big Ten. But he lost some big weapons. You know, Bell went to the NFL, right? Anthrop, they're gone. Um, they brought in Tyrone Tracy from Iowa, Charlie Jones from Iowa. Hopefully some guys, some internal transfers from the Big Ten that will make some difference. Payne Durham's still one of the top tight ends in the Big Ten. Um, they bring back uh, uh, some of their strengths from their offensive line and Hartwig and Hart, excuse me, and Hartwig and, and, and Holstage as well. So they've got a solid team. Obviously, they're going to be led by their quarterback, and that's going to make them competitive. Their big question marks, though, are they did lose a bunch from their offensive line. So O'Connell not having the same level of skill players around him and losing a little bit from his offensive line. How is he going to react to that? I think if you're an NFL scout and you're looking at O'Connell as a potential draft pick, I think you're more intrigued this year by what he can do with less. So that's going to be interesting for Purdue. I think they're going to compete. I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten West, but I think that they're going to hang around and their schedule is going to let them hang around as you move through the Big Ten West. Uh, the team that everybody's hot on that I'm not as hot on is Nebraska. They're returning 12 starters from a 3-9 and nine team. They lost so many close games last year. They could have easily, as any Nebraska fan will tell you, they could have easily been 10-2. and two. How many one-possession games did they lose? You can count them. They lost eight, eight one-possession games. That is insane. Eight of their nine losses were by one possession, and that was Ohio State at home, and they only lost that game by nine points. So... So it feels like when you watch Nebraska, you don't feel like you were watching a bad football team last year. But you want to keep in mind that Adrian Martinez is gone. Is Casey Thompson that big of an upgrade? People are probably yelling at me right now saying, yes, of course he is. They just got Casey Thompson, who was the starting quarterback at Texas last year. But I want to throw something at you. Casey Thompson was the number seven, uh, number seven rated quarterback in pass efficiency last year in the Big 12 in what really wasn't as big of a pass-happy Big 12 as it normally is. We're not talking about the Big 12 of five or six years ago. Um, and he came out at number seven on a middling Texas squad, to be kind. So how is that going to transfer to the Big 10? I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to do really, really well. Um, I think Nebraska fans have every reason to be excited. I just don't see the leap in this squad from going from three and nine to eight and four, which is, I think, what some people are thinking in their mind. I think more realistic from this group uh, because there are some shortcomings. Um, they bring back Ramir Johnson at the in their running game. 
Um, they got uh, uh, Trey Palmer as a transfer from LSU that's supposed to help out their receiving core. They got they're decent across the board. If you look at their team across the board, they've got their 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 middling ranking in the Big Ten across the board, but question marks on the running game and how that's going to support Casey Thompson. Question marks in the defensive backfield and um, how they're going to stop big plays with that defensive backfield. Um, has the culture of losing these close games really gotten to the team? That's something that we're going to look at as well. So I see more five and seven and six and six more than I see eight and four and seven and five. For the rest of the conference, it's also interesting when I look at these other teams, taking a look at Northwestern and Illinois, Northwestern is going to have their workout cut out for them. They're returning 14 starters, nine come on offense, but their offense was abysmal last year. I don't have a ton of faith in Ryan Holinsky. Evan Hull, I feel like he's been here for five years, even though I think he's only been here for three. Um, they're going to have a strong running game and a strong offensive line. That's about all the kind things I can say about, about Northwestern. Um, they're going to struggle in every other facet of their game. They have one of the worst defensive lines in the Big Ten. Whenever you're getting a starting transfer who came from UMass, uh, you might want to start asking questions. Now, if you're a Northwestern fan, uh, don't feel too down because they have one of the top recruiting classes in the country that's coming in next year. So they're definitely going to revamp. This is definitely a younger squad. Um, uh, Fitzgerald's done more with less before. So while I look at the paper and I say, you want to know what? They're probably going to finish three and nine again. Hey, Fitz has run that magic before. I won't even blink if this team somehow got to seven and five because God knows we've seen that Northwestern magic in the past. I just don't see it from the crew that I'm currently looking at, and it's going to be a big struggle for Northwestern. As a matter of fact, I feel fairly confident that Illinois is going to overtake Northwestern. Most publications have Illinois finishing last. I think Illinois will be in front of Northwestern next year. They finished five and seven last year. They had a couple, they had a nice win against Penn State on the road. Uh, it was one of the uglier games you may have ever seen in the history of college football, but they won the game. Um, and they play a tough out-of-conference schedule. So, I mean, we're going to see, I mean, for them, I should say, they play a tough out-of-conference schedule for them. Um, yeah, they've got a little bit of a rough schedule. They got to go to Michigan. They got to go to Wisconsin. But they bring back, um, their, their big thing for Illinois is that they, they they bring back Chase Brown, who's their top running back. Uh, they got the, uh, the quarterback transfer uh, that came in from Syracuse and Tommy DeVito. We're going to see how he works with Arthur, uh, Arthur Sikowski and how they're going to work that whole thing. But I know that Illinois is going to be able to run the ball. They have a decent offensive line. Chase Brown's a really solid running back. The question is, is how is that passing game going to come up? Now, Isaiah Williams is back at receiver. Um, uh, they do have uh, six defensive returnees. They got a transfer from NC State that's going to play well for them. But we're talking about a team that has only made one bowl since 2014. Uh, I think most Illini fans are looking for a little bit of a shakeup as we go into uh, 2022. And hopefully they can look at this team at the end of the year and say, hey, I've definitely seen some growth. They've got some chances early on in their schedule to get some easy wins, to put them in their back pocket. And I think they're going to be better than most people have them as. I just still kind of see them as a four and eight, maybe five and seven football team. Um, so that goes through it. So I've got my, my, my selections here. I've got uh, Ohio State winning the East. And drum roll, please, believe it or not, I'm going to pick Iowa to win the West. They're going to win the tiebreaker over Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Purdue. I'm calling a four-way tie for the Big Ten Western <laughs> Championship. Um, so don't ask me how I got there, but that's how I saw it all. 
Uh, hopefully you enjoyed listening to the podcast. We're going to preview games of the upcoming weeks and then review the games from the previous weeks. And we'll start that next week. We'll be talking about what happened in the Northwestern and Nebraska game and also talk a little bit about what happened in the Illinois-Wyoming game as well. Uh, we'll also be focusing around other college football aspects around the Midwest. So we'll talk a little bit about the MAC. By the way, if you're a Northern Illinois fan, they're returning 14 starters from that really, really good offensive team they had last year. In my opinion, they're going to threaten for that MAC championship. They have a really good offensive line on that team. So uh, look out for Northern Illinois, although Toledo's probably the favorite in the MAC. And we'll talk about other stuff uh, throughout football in the Midwest and even maybe even put in some items on Notre Dame as well, who I think is probably overranked at number five right now, a team that probably should be ranked more between 10 and 15 rather than at number five. They lost their top running back. They lost their top receiver. They lost their quarterback. Um, I just don't see how you can make a team uh, start the year in the top five whenever that takes place. Um, good news for them, though, is they've got a really good offensive line. And when you have a good offensive line, good things can happen. I just think it's kind of unfair to their new coach to put them in that situation by ranking them so by ranking them so high. So we'll talk about the games from the previous week. We'll preview all the big games for Labor Day weekend, including that big Notre Dame-Ohio State matchup. And I hope that you'll join us. We'll try to keep these a little bit shorter. I know we're getting closer to an hour on this, but hopefully you enjoyed our time today. And hopefully you have a little bit more insight into the world of Big Ten football for 2022. So I love you guys. I will talk to you later. Have a great rest of the week. And I will see you next week as we talk about the previous week's results. Have fun and happy football in 2022. I will talk to you guys later.